John chapter 11 this morning. John chapter 11. My heart this morning is towards trying to answer a question. In just a few days, we will commemorate the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And just this past week, those words, which we haven't heard for a while, suicide bomber, were mentioned. We haven't heard that in the news for a while. And thank God for that. But 13 young soldiers lost their lives this last week. My question today is why did it happen? I'm not going to confirm your political reason today why it happened. I have my reasons. I am not here to stand and give political reasons. I don't have specific answers, but I do have biblical answers. Now, we could blame man for what happened this week. I I believe someone needs to be blamed. Someone needs to be held accountable. But uh, we don't have all the reasons why. It's still, wow, what a situation is in Afghanistan right now. Pray for Christians. Pray for pastors who are trying to minister to people. Pray for our elected officials. It's biblical. Pray for our soldiers. At least pray. It's the least we can do and the most we can do. Spend more time praying than you do arguing about it. Ask God to do what he can do. But I'm asking myself this question, and I'm not going to read an entire chapter. We're going to work our way through John 11. But I want you to see, if you would, this passage on the death of Lazarus. In verse number 1, John 11, 1. Now there was a certain... Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus, excuse me, of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. Before we read on, I want you to notice that the Lord includes the whole family in this situation. It, they're mentioned together at the beginning, and then they're dealt with individually throughout the passage. It says in verse 2, It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha, and her sister, and Lazarus. When he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. Then after that, saith he to his disciples, let us go into Judea again. His disciples say unto him, Master, the Jews of late sought to stone thee, and goest thou thither again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world." But if a man walk in the night, he stumbleth, because there is no light in him. These things said he, and after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may awake him out of his sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking rest and sleep. 
Then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Verse 15 troubles me. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe. Nevertheless, let us go unto him. My question this morning that by, by God's grace through his word will answer is why did it happen? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Bless us now as we look into it. I pray for anybody in this room or online that doesn't know Christ as their Savior, that, Lord, you would speak to their heart about their eternal destiny. Lord, help your gospel to be clear today. And then, Lord, for your people that often find themselves at this crossroad, asking the question, why something happened? Lord, I just want to be a blessing and feed your people today. And I pray that your word might be magnified. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you could imagine yourself flying into Chicago O'Hare, you would see a maze of architecture and traffic and craziness. You've never flown into Chicago. It's, it's a rat's nest. Think of that plane passing over the expressway, and you look down, and you can see this. They take different routes, of course, depending on the wind or the traffic patterns. But you look down and you see in the traffic red lights, miles of cars backed up. This is basically from 3 o'clock to 10 p.m. If you've ever lived in Chicago, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it, it's, it can be five to six hours of traffic jam. If you add snow on top of that, it can, it, people just get out and leave their cars. But you notice as you're flying over all these cars, all these red lights, and you see people, when you glance northward up, northward up the road, you see people with those telltale signs of flashing lights, red lights, and then you see people up on their bumpers looking. Have you ever met these people? Are you one of these people? <laughs> you're looking and you're hoping that somehow your vantage point is going to help the situation. <laughs> And you're looking and you're trying to see what's going on. But you notice these people doing that down there. And, 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 and since you can see the road ahead of them, you know that not very long afterwards they're going to get out of it. Because you're flying in and you see the end. But if you're down there in the traffic, in Chicago traffic, you're struggling. You may or may not have said some things you should not have said. But you can't see up the road. Flying into O'Hare, you proceed to your car, and you also are involved in the same traffic jam. But you know there's an end. You know where it ends, and you know you'll soon be home because your perspective on the traffic jam is different. Perspective makes all the difference in the world. We are earthbound creatures. And if we could somehow look past, down the road past the traffic jams in our life, we would probably react differently in the traffic jam. There are things that happen in our lives that we have no control over but we respond 
and with the wrong perspective. Whenever tragedy strikes life, the natural and human response is to immediately ask questions. We all want to know those journalistic questions. Who, when, where, why, how, how long, how far? Why, why do they do this? What was their motivation? These are the questions that plagued America after 9-11. And we ask these questions. In the passage, Mary and Martha ask questions. They ask that why questions. In fact, even the disciples in verse 12 through 16 have that question. Lord, why? I mean, if he's sleeping, why are you going to go wake him up? The sin is not asking, the sin is not in asking why. Failing to trust God is the sin, especially when he doesn't immediately answer or he answers in an unacceptable way or he never answers. And today, all I'm going to try to do is to give you four biblical perspectives on why it happened. I want you to, if you can, apply these to whatever you're thinking about right now. Whatever it is that you have a question about why God did that. I want to look in the passage and see if God can give us not every answer, not necessarily specific answers, but biblical answers. If you've experienced pain, and that would be if you're here. If you've experienced tragedy, I imagine there are varying degrees of that today, or heartache. I have a relative right now that's experiencing heartache. I want to give you, based on the scripture, four reasons why you have it. See, the world wants you to think God just arbitrarily does things. That he just, he's, he's God, and he gets to determine, and we know that he has the right to do what he wants to do. But God has reasons. You and I must determine what they are based on the word of God, not based on our traffic jam perspective. Number one, in order to have our perspective change, we need to see this. Here's one reason why it happened for you to learn to praise God. Number one, praise of God. If you'll notice in verse 4, when Jesus heard that, heard what? Heard the news from the messengers that, is, that the sisters sent. Therefore his sisters, in verse 3, sent unto him, unto Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, and I like what these ladies say. They don't say, hey, our bro is sick. Lazarus is sick. They don't say it that way. They add a little bit of human touch to the message. Jesus, the one you love, is sick. Have you ever added a little bit of human uh, heart to what you want God to do. There's nothing wrong with that. The Psalms are filled with it. There is nothing wrong with crying out to God. What kind of God would tell you to come and then not listen? He does here. You say, but how can it bring praise to God when it doesn't make sense to me? I digress here, but this is you and I's default thought process. It's an egotistical pattern of perception. It's us in the traffic jam. Why would this traffic jam happen to me? Maybe it's not happening to you. 
It didn't make sense to the disciples. Look at verse 11. It says, uh, they said this, our friend, he's, Jesus said, our friend Lazarus sleepeth. I love how he says that, our friend. Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of his sleep. Why does Christ wake up a sick man? That's what the disciples are asking. That doesn't make any sense. What do they say? You have a common cold, what do you do? You take vitamin C, drink lots of liquids, and sleep. Sleep is one of the best remedies. Doesn't make sense. And verse 14, why didn't Jesus just say that first? Lazarus is dead. Why, why couldn't he just tell us Lazarus is dead? Why does he have to veil it in this concept of sleep and it's really not sleep, it's death that he's talking about? Why does Jesus do that? I, I, I don't know. And sometimes the Lord works in our lives and it seems like he's mystifying the entire process of getting to know him. He's not. That's my egotistical perspective on God. A third thing that didn't make sense to them is why after he heard of Lazarus' sickness did he wait, the Bible says still, two days. He's, it's, he could have gone. In fact, I believe the messengers went back to Martha and Mary. I believe one of the issues that Martha had with Jesus is that we sent word. We sent word. Why did you wait so long? It, it doesn't make sense. Christ's reasons in our life and our logic do not always coincide. They don't always intersect. What, what is Christ doing in my perception of what God is doing in my life? The, the, think of the disciples. They had already seen Jesus heal Peter's mother-in-law. Could he not heal Lazarus? He, he just went in there and touched her body. Yes, Jesus could heal Lazarus. But he had some reason they chose not to go right away. The disciples were just as human as we are, and they wondered why Christ waited those days. The disciples were very human. They, they asked Jesus in John 9 about that man that was born blind from his birth, right? He was blind from his birth, rather. His disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? Is this not what the internet is all about? Something happens. Who sinned? We're always ready to find out what's wrong with this scenario. Who did wrong? The disciples are just like you and I. Who, who did sin? This blind man, blind from birth. Was it his parents or was it himself? This man or his parents? Jesus said neither. Wow. Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents. Wouldn't it be all oh man? Parents, come on now. Wouldn't it be nice to hear every once in a while from Jesus, you didn't do wrong? <laughs> Kids have a way of making you feel guilty. You have yourself, you feel guilty yourself, right? Come on, parents, don't leave me up here. I like to sing to my wife every once in a while. When we feel like we're guilty, I say, no guilt in life. That's what I sing to her. We don't have to feel guilty as parents. But Jesus looks at this man, blind man, and looks at the parents and says, neither one of them are wrong. But He said, why? But that the works of God should be manifest in him. 
See, disciples are sitting there in the traffic jam saying, why is this guy here? Why is this guy? Jesus said, you don't understand. I've got a whole other purpose for this blind man. By the way, he healed him. So let me give you one reason why it happened. Praise of God. You say, but man meant it for evil. Yes, man often does. But God, as Joseph said, meant it for good. He can take it and turn it and make it good in your life. He can. And some people say, well, I, I don't see any good in it. Can I, I'm trying to be respectful to you. Can I ask you a question? Have you given it to God? It is very hard to see good in it when I have it. But when I give it to him, my perspective changes. Second reason why it happened is a personal test of faith. And you'll see that as Jesus meets Martha right away. If you would, in verse 20, then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming two days late, went and met him. And this is always the, the perspective, the paradox of the two sisters, it seems. But Mary sat still in the house. Personality is seen here in verse 21. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. Now, based on her understanding of Jesus' miracles, of Jesus' power, of her close uh, relationship with him, him having been in the house several times, one of his favorite places to be, this is what she understood about Christ. Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. Well, we know Jesus has healed from a long distance before. But this is her understanding of who Jesus is. But she says this, But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give it thee. So she hints at something that's possible that Christ could do. And, and she says, and I, I love this, I love this perspective of Martha. Because this is you and I. We, Lord, here's, here's how it goes. This is it. And then we throw a little orthodox answer on the backside. But I know, but I know you know how to do, you're powerful. You can do anything. Look, she is, I'm, not, I'm not faulting her faith. I'm saying this. Go back to verse 15. He said to his disciples, and I am glad for your sakes I was not there. Why? Why? To the intent. He has an intent. He's not arbitrarily putting them through pain. He has a reason. To the intent, ye might believe. You may believe. Nevertheless, let's go on him. Jesus lets us know, lets the disciples know, before they even come to this funeral, the funeral's done, before they come to this mourning house. By the way, often the ladies led this process in the Jewish homes. They would lead to the grave. They would lead in mourning, and they would gather around and sit in, in the room and mourn together, and that's where we find Mary there. But before they ever get to this place, Jesus says, I have an intention for waiting, and it's that you may grow in your faith. Can I tell you something? We all know that truth today. We all know that God wants to grow our faith. It's, 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 it's completely interwoven throughout the New Testament that God's desire for his people is to grow. Add to your faith, right? 
He wants to grow us. So know that before the trial comes. God's intent is to grow you. That's why he's putting you through it. I cannot tell you why it happened on August such and such and such and such year. I, I can't tell you why it happened on September 11, 2001. I, I don't know why. Why that date? I don't know all that stuff. I don't know why innocent people died. But I do know that there were countless people, thousands of people, who had a personal test of faith through 9-11. And some people passed it, and they ran to God, and some people did not pass the test, and they ran to themselves or to their own belief. But the personal test of faith is brought here. Do you know Peter said this? He said that, the trial, here's the reason, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, might, though it be tried with fire, might be found under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. As one man said, the disciples might acknowledge the resurrection of Lazarus to be a truly divine work. In order for them to, to acknowledge it, it had to be delayed that it might be the farthest removed from human remedy. They may have imagined it, and Martha is imagining. Jesus could be here. He could, he could lay his hand on my brother and heal him. But she didn't imagine that he was going to do this. Martha's a busy, kinetic soul, often too busy. She's not a bad believer. She's not an evil lady. She's busy, though, often busy. Maybe, though, she wasn't yet a tested believer. This is her test. Look at verse 21 again, if you would. <laughs> Can you imagine this was probably said? in the home for a couple days? Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. These ladies are frantic. This is their brother. And they know the, the healer. And they did the right thing. And they went to him and they asked for him to come. And can you imagine in this room as, as his body is draining of its life, the panic is becoming greater and greater in this home. And it's as if she's just a steam pot when she comes to Jesus. Lord, we've been saying this for days now. Where are you? What are you doing? Isn't it not interesting at times that you and I can get in the place where we almost think we can demand God to do something? As if Jesus was going to clear every schedule and be right there for every person's need in the world. He, he didn't do that. There are many people that didn't receive healing during Jesus' day. He didn't come here for man's plan. He came here for God's plan. It was man that changed the plan. And Israel did not receive him. She repeated this phrase, I'm sure, many times. Where are you, Lord? You came too late. Where were you when my loved one died? Why is it when I prayed over that body and earnestly, God, hear me, please heal them, they still passed. What happened when my marriage divorced? and it, My divorce, rather, took place. My marriage dissolved. Where were you then, God? I thought, I thought divorce wasn't your will. What happened when my dad became an alcoholic? Where were you, God? 
Where were you when I was cheated out of my promotion that I was supposed to get? These are questions. These are honest questions. These are real questions. These are man's questions. The Lord does not rebuke Martha. Man, you know what I love? The Bible corrects my perception of Jesus. I, I often build a perception of my own on who Jesus is. The Bible corrects that. Look what he says in verse 23. This is a statement of truth. This is a doctrinal statement. This is a scriptural statement. Thy brother, verse 23, shall rise again. In verse 24, she says, yeah, I know that. <laughs> I, I, I did the catechism, Jesus. <laughs> I memorized it. I know. I know that he shall rise in the resurrection at the last day. I got that, God. I've read the Bible. But that's the future stuff. What about right now? See, she believed in the resurrection. Please listen to me. She didn't know that she was talking to the resurrection. Up to this point, it was orthodox rote memorization. Here's what's going to happen in the future. Yes, all Jews are taught about the future resurrection. She didn't know who exactly she was talking to. And this is why I believe, though she was a busy Christian, she had not yet been tested. And this is why you and I have troubles in our life. The God of heaven would stop and care about my growth? Absolutely. He's quite invested in his son and daughter and in their spiritual growth. He will take time, teenager, to stop and test you at different points in your life. You'll have heartache. You'll have people not understand you. Dads, there'll be times where you weep on the floor of your kid's bedroom when they're sleeping because you don't know what to do. Then you don't have an answer and you've read all the books. And you think if I just do A, B, C, D, you'll get the, and you're, God just says, you got to figure it out? I say, no, Lord, I don't have to figure it out. It's a personal test of faith. And when tragedy strikes and you begin to ask God why, let me give you a reason why. He's testing your own faith. That's one of the reasons. Number three, it's a proof of love. And this is where some of us do back out. Christ's delay in coming to help Lazarus was not a proof of his indifference. Much to the contrary. It was a proof of his love. Think about Joseph for a second. From traffic jam level, it seems like Joseph's hard work and integrity and devotion just land him in a foul Egyptian prison. His honesty about himself, about his dreams, about his brother, about his father, it just seems like all of that was worthless. And I am certain that Joseph questioned at times. Because the Bible tells us in, in, in Genesis 50, his father said this about him. He said his bow 
abode in strength. I love what Brother Dave Habman said about that. He said, a bow is really not tested until it's pulled back. You don't know what the bow can handle until it is stretched. He said the archers sorely shot at him, but his bow abode in strength. The life of Joseph is a proof that God can put a man through really extreme pressure and he can hold him so that when he's released, boom, his life counts for eternity. And Joseph proves that God loved him. God never left him. He allowed him to go through many things, but he never left him. In fact, every time Joseph looked to God, God prospered him. And that's what's amazing about the man. But I want you to know something about the passage. God's telling you this this morning. Look at verse 5. Before the whole ordeal, John eleven five. 5, and I love what he says. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Notice the Lord wants us to know that he loved each and every one of them. He didn't love Mary or Martha or Lazarus any more than the other. He loved them all. And he didn't wait because he didn't love Lazarus. He waited to grow the disciples' faith. He waited to grow Mary and Martha's faith and to prove that he loved them. Listen, Christ's love for you and I is not based on our perception of his love. It's not based on our perspective of his love. It's based on his person. It is who he is. And the devil wants us to question, what has God shown to me lately that proves he loves me? That's what the devil will say to you. God, what have you done for me lately? And when trials come in our life, we think God is not love anymore. He cannot be anything else than his attributes. He's love. And he proves it here in this passage that before the whole scenario went down, I want you to know I love all three of these people. You say, but I don't feel God's love. That's why there is a thing called faith. Faith is not the absence of any doubt. It's a trust. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence, I hold it, of things not seen. It's real even when I don't feel it. God's love. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with a feeling of our infirmities. But it was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Quote with me, John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. Good. That's one verse in Master Club. You check. God Almighty grieved over the death of his friend. The Jews present were baffled. They marveled. Behold how he loved. One man said it this way, he wept because he was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. He wept out of sorrow for Martha and Mary and for Lazarus' friends. He wept because his heart was broken. He wept because he was God. And he could see what they could not see. He could see Lazarus already in paradise, surrounded by the saints of God. He had already entered into the rest beyond 
the reach of earthly woes. God could see that. Christ could see that. And he wept for man. I read a story about a preacher and his wife who were preparing their daughter for first grade. He said, we intentionally bought a jacket for her for winter that was a size too large. But it was this marvelous blue fluffy coat with gold buttons down the front. And they were from California. And he said, the most amazing, unusual thing happened in California. It rained. So it was a perfect day on her first day of school to wear the coat. He said, I never forget how she looked when she went out the door, dressed in red boots, a blue coat with gold buttons, just squeezable, you know what I mean, parents? Mm, cute as can be. We were so proud of her. He said it didn't matter to us that her, her jacket was a little long, the sleeves were a little long, and also at the hem, a little bit long. She was so happy and she was excited as she walked down the door, out the door, down the driveway. She said, Barbara and I stood in the picture window there, foggy, and watched her go. Then two of her little friends met her on the street. He said, we couldn't make out what they were saying, but she said, I, he said, I knew what they were saying. Your hair looks dumb. And then she pointed at the hem of her coat, said something about her coat, and the preacher said, my temperature, rise up. I knew what she was saying. Those little gals just walked off down the street, my daughter Holly with her head hanging, walked slowly off down to school. He said, I wanted to come through that door, set those girls straight. But he said, I didn't. You know why? My daughter would never grow to her potential if I always stepped in whenever she experienced difficulties. It would stunt her personal development and as a parent, I tempered my intervention in her life so that she would become a whole person. Is not our Heavenly Father better than our earthly fathers? Can we not trust that when he tempers his intervention in our lives that he may be trying to grow us and show us his love? Can I say this to you? No matter what the devil tells you today, Christ cares about his children. God cares about you. Your griefs, your troubles, your pain, he longs to bear them with you. And if you've never known pain, you would never know relief. If you hadn't experienced rejection, you wouldn't know what loving acceptance is. If you haven't tasted the bitter sting of death, you wouldn't understand the sweetness of life. God wants to grow us. And one of the reasons it happened is to prove that he loves you. I want to see one last point. I don't have the specifics of why it happens, but I can tell you biblically, it's number one, for God to get glory, to praise him more. When your perspective is the one in the plane and not the one in the traffic jam, you can praise God 
that it's going to be all right, even if it's not all right right now. Second reason is for a personal test of your faith. The third reason is to prove that he loves you. Are you looking for his love? And lastly, here's something that I think is very interesting to the story and why he delayed. It's to show the power of the resurrection. Look at verse 45, John eleven forty-five. 45. After he raises him from the dead, asks the disciples to loose him and let him go. It says in verse 45, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which what? Jesus did. Believed on him. No, you and I may not see someone physically come back from the dead. And probably the preacher you heard didn't either. There's no faith healers today. I wish there were. We'd walk up to Dr. Fauci and say, be healed of all of your stupidity. (laughs) And everybody in the hospital, we'd heal. There'd be no problem. There'd be no shortage. There would need to be no vaccine. We'd just get Dr. Smell fungus to come in and heal everybody. I'm being, I'm being smart, like, but that's the truth, folks. It's the truth. There are no faith healers today. There's fake healers. But the power of the resurrection is seen in two ways. And I'm going to say this. You and I may not see someone raised from the dead, but we can see the power of the resurrection two ways. One is in a changed life. When tragedy strikes, look for people to be saved. Jesus had turned water into wine. Jesus had healed lepers. Jesus had walked on water. Jesus had fed 5,000 people, but no one had seen him raise a dead man. And in this tragedy, where God dedicates almost the entire chapter to it, he says, I want to show you who Jesus is. And But I look at my trials and I say, but that, I don't want to see what you're going to do for someone else's life. I want to see what you're doing in my life. God says, let me show you what I'm doing in your life. Look at these changed lives. Look at the resurrection power in this person's life. Look at the resurrection power in your life. What was a time of great sorrow became a fond memory and an amazing story that's been told ever since. Why? Go to chapter 12. Much people, John 12, 9, much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. The tragedy in Mary and Martha's life was used as an example of a living testimony. Everywhere Lazarus went, a crowd followed him and they wanted to see him. His testimony was so powerful to the validity of Jesus Christ that the chief priest wanted to kill him. You see, in my life and in your life, I'm looking at it from the traffic jam perspective and I don't know what God's going to do with all of this. But from the aerial, the heavenly perspective, God shall wipe away all tears. And there shall be no more death. 
neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And I understand that. Yes, Lord, I know the doctrine. What about now? I'll tell you about now. I get to choose my perspective. I get to choose how I look at this. I don't get to change everything about it. But I do get to change how I look at it. Am I going to stand on the bumpers of the traffic jams of life and say, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? What does that mean? Am I going to lay on the horn say, man, I'm, I, I thought I'd be married by now. Why? Come on, God, what's going on? I thought we'd have children by now. I thought my kids would all be in the church with me. I thought this, I thought that. God, why? And we lay on the horns of our life saying, Lord, would you please just free this up? And God says, I'm not going to free everything up in your life. But I'll give you some Bible reasons. I love you. I'm trying your faith. I'm here for you. And I want you to start looking for resurrection power in people's lives. Can I say this? Is everything in my life about me? Or does God allow some things to happen so that other people can benefit? I'll point out Dr. Gipp. Just a tragedy of falling. A tragedy of falling, but living with pain for the rest of his life with a neck injury. And yet how many illustrations of the resurrection power could he point out because he said, God, I'm not going to have a traffic jam perspective on this. I'm going to look up. Brother Ron Hamilton is almost, he's not long for this world. He's almost gone. And in the 1970s, he had his eye removed for cancer. And the kids mocked him because of his patch. They weren't being mean. They are just being kids. And he saw what God could do with this. And how many people have been changed? How many people here have been helped and around the world? Because someone said, I'm not going to look at this perspective. I'm going to get a higher one. Where is your perspective today? Why did it happen? Trusting God's delays give us the right perspective. Let's pray. Lord, I come to you today as one of your people. And I come trusting you. I don't know every heart. I don't know where every person in this room or online is at spiritually in their life right now. But you, Father, do. I can't answer every question. But, Lord, we do know biblically why things happen. They happen so that you can receive glory. Maybe more glory than we thought possible because we changed our perspective on a trial. They are to prove that you love us and they are to personally test our faith. But Lord, that power it's seen in the resurrection. Lord, there are people in our midst who from their childhood have risen above the ashes and they've raised their family for God. And they now have saved children and grandchildren because you changed their life. Lord, the powerful resurrection is available for all of us. And I, 
I pray today that you'd speak to every heart. Comfort us in your scripture. With our head bowed and eyes closed, I would like to say this. If you're in our midst today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you have not personally come to him and trusted him as your Savior. Christ stands ready to receive you, to offer you the forgiveness of sins. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He would love to take your sins from you today and he stands ready to give you his righteousness. What do you have to do to receive that? You have to admit that you stand there in your sins, that you have willfully sinned against a holy God and that that sin has a punishment. It's called death and hell. You must admit that that's the consequence of your sin. But recognize that Jesus Christ paid for that debt on the cross in his own body. He bare your sins and he stands ready to forgive you. The great exchange, give God your sins and he will give you Christ's righteousness. And if you would like to know that today, I ask you to come forward during the invitation. We'd love to talk with you. Someone could take you aside privately and just walk you through the scripture on how you can know that you're on your way to heaven and have your sins forgiven. Let's stand this morning, if we would. If you'd like to come and pray during the song, I admonish you to do that. Number 679 is our song this morning. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to